I am going to ask another thing of you. No, you're not going to have to move again. But I want you to take on the role of somebody other than where you are and what is going on right here. Because today we're going to look at a group of people 2,000 years ago that encountered Jesus Christ. They heard him, saw him, experienced him. And I'm going to ask you in your mind and in your prayers and in your spirit, and one of the reasons that I've asked you to come up here is because now we are a crowd. And I'm asking you to encounter Jesus Christ as they did on that mountainside 2,000 years ago. And I am asking you to be believers because I trust that everyone in here is a believer and I believe that to be the case. That's why you're here. Now in this crowd, there are also some other people. Uh, There are not all believers in this crowd. There are some scoffers. There are some doubters. There are some that are blatantly opposed to Jesus Christ. And there are people that are seeking, uh, curious, and wondering uh, how and what they can do to get to know Jesus Christ better. But just some background for this crowd, and since you're a part of the crowd, you then remember that you were following Jesus, and he went up on a mountainside, and he sat down to share and to teach And he looked at all of you and all of the people that were all around, and he said to one of his disciples, he said, how in the world are we going to feed these folks? And somebody said, Lord, it would take a year's wages to feed all these people. And so Jesus said, do we have anything around? And one of the disciples says, well, we have a little fellow here, and he's got a few fishes and a couple of loaves of bread. And Jesus said, bring that to me. And now we have the beautiful miracle in the story of feeding the 5,000 there on the mountainside. And when they got through distributing the food and eating and everybody was full, you remember what they gathered? Twelve baskets full. That is truly a miracle from Jesus Christ. Now, the people were excited because they had a full tummy. He had filled them physically. But you know that Jesus wants to do more than fill us physically. We've got to have food for our spiritual nourishment. Now, that night, he and some of the disciples were in prayer, and his disciples decided to get in the boat and go across the lake. And they did. And Jesus was not with them. But in the middle of the night, in a stormy, windy night on the Sea of Galilee, Jesus was walking across the water. <laughs> and the Bible tells us that the disciples were really afraid when they saw him. I imagine if you were a part of that group in the boat with the disciples, you would be afraid also. But Jesus got in the boat and they went on over to Capernaum. And the crowds the next day, all those 5,000 people, men and women, and maybe more than 5,000, they knew that the disciples and Jesus had left and had gone to the other side. And so what did the crowd do? 
They followed him. Now, why did the crowd follow him? That's a really important question. Because there had been miracles. And I bet you that by the time the crowd got to the other side, they were hearing about Jesus walking on the water. Because the disciples experienced that. You think those disciples weren't talking about that experience in the middle of the night on the stormy sea? You bet they were. And so now this crowd is, is following and wanting to see Jesus. And, but Jesus says something to them, and I'm going to turn to the sixth chapter of John if you want to follow along or if you just want to listen because you're part of the crowd. Now remember, they didn't have this book. <laughs> We're privileged to have Scripture, and we know, and we believe, but we know that this is what happened. And so in the sixth chapter of John, starting with verse 25, we find out what's going on with you folks that are in the crowd because they're all now gathered again around Jesus Christ. And Jesus says there in verse 26, he says, I tell you the truth, you're looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. Now, there's a key to what we're going to look at as the crowd. Remember, you're still not totally sure. You believe and you're following, but you're a new believer. Now, we can all look back and we've grown and we know much more, but now as a part of this crowd, he's saying that you're following me because your physical needs were satisfied. But then he's saying, don't do it that way. Let the Son of Man. Now, who's he talking about? He's talking about himself. That's a phrase that he uses, the Son of Man. And do what the Son of Man provides for you. But the crowd, and please understand, this is, a, this is an accusation or a challenge to you and me because we always deal on the surface as human beings and the crowd is looking for this physical nourishment because and and some sort of spectacular sensationalism because in verse 30 they say so they ask him what miraculous sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you they want proof they want something to, to hang on to, just like you and I do. But they go on and say, Our forefathers ate manna in the desert. It is written, He, that's an important He, but He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Who's the He that he, the crowd was talking about there? Thank you, Kathy. Now, it's Moses. Remember, these people were Jews and they celebrated. And in fact, I would even say that they worshipped Moses. These were Jewish people that had the traditions of the Jewish people. But they say that he gave us manna to eat in the desert. Look at what Jesus said to them in verse 32. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. It is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, 
but is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is who he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Now always remember, as we're experiencing what Jesus says back then and now, Jesus is always going deeper. He's always going deeper. You and I as human beings, we like to live up here. Jesus wants to go deeper and go deeper. And so in verse 34, after he said this about this bread, it says that the crowd said, Sir, they said, from now on, give us this bread. Now, doesn't that sound familiar? If you go back to the Samaritan woman at the well, and he gave water. Now, he gave water that would well up to eternal life to that woman. But what did the woman say? I always want to have this water. Give me this water so I don't have to come to the well and draw anymore. Same thing that these folks are saying here. Same thing that you and I say. Wouldn't you agree? We want, we want something that we can get our hands on. Jesus wants something that we can get our life on and our eternal life on. So they say, Sir, from now on give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am. Now I'm going to stop right there. Because I want you to realize that in this passage of Scripture that we're looking at today, there are three I am statements. And understand that this is a statement of Jesus' divinity. Because even back into the Old Testament, what did God say to the people? I am who I am. I am that I am. Now that may be confusing, but he was just saying, I am everything. And now Jesus is saying right here in verse 35, Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. Now the title for our gathering this morning is Eating the Bread of Life. And we're going to talk about that and touch that even more. But Jesus is the bread of life. He says, I am the bread of life, and he who believes in me will never be hungry and never be thirsty. And he says that the Father wants me to have you, wants me to have people that are brought to him. And he says, whoever comes to me, I will never drive, drive away. Now, if you're sitting here today as a believer in Jesus Christ, and sometimes you feel like that you're falling away or you don't measure up, pay attention to that. Jesus Christ is saying, if someone comes to me in faith and in trust and in absolutely believing in who I am, I am the bread of life, he says, I will never lose you, basically. You will never be away from me. Now, do you, do you fail? Do you sin? Yes, I do. You do. But we stand on the security of Jesus Christ. Not on whether or not I'm good enough. Oh, please, no. <laughs> We're all not good enough. But Jesus Christ has given us this. Verse 39, he says, And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall not lose any or all that he has given me, 
but I will raise them up at the last days. There is the statement of resurrection. There is the statement of eternal life. There is the statement of security and hopefulness because we are believers in Jesus Christ. Now remember, he's talking to these people and they still don't know him. I pray that you and I know much, much, much more than these folks did. But I've asked you to sort of experience this so that we can understand what these people are going through. So Jesus is saying, I'm not going to lose anybody that's come to me in belief. Verse 41. Here's some of those grumbling, opposing Jews. And they're in the crowd, please remember. They're not happy about Jesus. They don't understand him. And some of them are drastically opposed to him, even in violence. And he says that this the Jews began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And they said, is this not Jesus, the son of Mary and Joseph that we know? And now what is this about him talking about coming down from heaven? How ridiculous. That's what they're saying. And the grumbling is going on in verse 43. What does Jesus say? Now, remember, there are thousands of people here. There's a lot of folks around this crowd. They were across on the other side of the lake. They came looking for Jesus because he had filled their stomachs. And now they're grumbling about him. And there are a lot of people. I don't know that Jesus could have actually heard all of their grumbling. But he says to them, stop grumbling among yourselves. What does that mean? He is all-knowing. He knows what's going on. He knows what they're saying. He knows what they're feeling. He knows, knows what they're struggling with. And he says, stop their grumbling. And then down in verse 47, he said, I tell you the truth. He who believes has everlasting life. And here's the next I am. I am the bread of life. He keeps hammering that home for us. Back then, as the crowd, right now, today here at King's Grant Baptist Church. He says, I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate the manna in the desert, yet they died. That's a key phrase. They ate, they filled their stomachs, but yet they died. And in verse 50 he says, But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. Now, please pay attention to that. I have said to you often, as a believer in Jesus Christ, you don't have to die. Now, am I going to die physically? Yes. Are you going to die physically? Yes. But Jesus has taught us over and over and over, and there are scriptures to back this up. For God so loved the world. Other scriptures, I am the resurrection and the life. If you're believing in him, even though you will die, you never die. Now, if you don't understand that, well, I don't totally understand it either. Do you believe that? I hope so. I believe that. Why? Because this is the message of Jesus Christ. And so he's saying here that these folks died in the desert, but here's a bread. I am the bread of life. Here's the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. Verse 51, I am the living bread it came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. Now just let that sink in for a moment, please. 
I will. You do, please. If you eat this bread, he will live forever. But then he goes into something even deeper. And we're about to launch into one of the most controversial and somewhat difficult for you and me because we don't believe in cannibalism. And this verse is about, if you haven't read it, then it may be shocking to you, it may be difficult, but please hang on because Jesus is giving us a lesson in absolute truth of spirit and life because he is saying, this bread is my flesh which I will give for the life of the world. Flesh has now been introduced into Jesus' statements. And that's a tough thing for us to, to take in. And here the Jews again, they began to argue sharply among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Now, let this soak in, because Jesus is talking about flesh, and now he's going to add to it blood, flesh to eat, and blood to drink. And this is a tough saying, and we will all realize that. Verse 53, and this is, this is the crux of this statement. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. Now stop right there, please. <coughs> is he talking about the reality of eating flesh and drinking blood? No. This is a statement of how we can completely be immersed in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We've got to be a part of him. He's got to be a part of us. And this is Jesus' statements. I didn't make this up. Other man, mankind didn't make this up. This is Jesus saying, this is so important for you to be completely immersed in me that I'm going to tell you that you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Now, this does have foreshadowing for this table. That's part of why we're talking about it today. Now, there's some, again, of our Catholic friends that believe that when you take the elements of the Lord's Supper, that it actually becomes the flesh and the blood of Jesus Christ. I do not believe that. It's called transubstantiation. I do believe that this is a statement of symbolism it is a statement of spirit and life because that's what Jesus Christ is saying here. And he's saying, if I can immerse myself, if you can immerse yourself in the truth that this is flesh and blood that you have to take in in a constant, continuing pattern of your life, then you will remain in me. Now, I want to remind you of what it says in John 15. It says, if you remain in me, then we will bear fruit, and without me you can do nothing. Now, remain in me. Think about that. What does that mean? It says, abide in me, observe me, follow me, hold to me, devote to me, be faithful to me, be attached to me. All of that is what this, this message, this teaching from Jesus, 
but he's talking about this offensive, difficult, shocking statement about eating the flesh and drinking the blood. And we go on, we'll go back and we'll read verse 56 again. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him, just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so that the one who feeds on me. Now I want to just ask you, in your life, in my life, do we feed on the very reality of Jesus Christ? I believe that that is necessary for us to be nourished, strengthened, be a part of Jesus, for Jesus to be a part of us. Now, no, we're not talking about eating his flesh and drinking his blood in reality, but we're talking about eating and drinking of him constantly, his truth, his teachings, his presence, his spirit. And that's what this is all about. And it says that the one who feeds on me will live because of me. My question to me and you is, do we want to live? I do. I hope you do. do it says that, when it, we feed on him, he will live. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died, but he who feeds on this bread will live forever. So now he's talked about eating flesh and drinking blood. Drastic, offensive, difficult statement. What does he say? What's the result of all this? He says in verse 60, on hearing this, many of his disciples says, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Well, what do you say? It is a hard teaching. It is, yes. And possibly back then, this crowd that was sitting at Jesus' feet, they were thinking, well, is Jesus talking about cannibalism? Which is certainly offensive and completely out of the realm of Jesus Christ. But they're saying this is a hard teaching and who can accept it? Jesus knew that that's what they were saying. And he goes on in verse 63 and he says, The Spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. Now there's a key phrase. That is a statement of he is saying, I am talking in a spiritual sense. I'm not talking in a fleshly physical sense. He's saying the Spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. So there's the exp explanation of this drastic statement that Jesus has just shared with the crowd. They are spirit and they are life. And that is what you and I need to take from this. But we're going down to verse 66. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Now, I want you to think about that for a moment, and I want you to even get a picture. Here we are in this crowd. Jesus is wanting to give spirit and life. He's wanting to give you assurance of ever, everlasting life. He has given this in a drastic and difficult example, but he has continued to say, I'm the bread of life, I'm the bread of life, I'm the bread of life. But human beings, here's a whole group, who knows how many. Remember, there were thousands of people there. Would you picture 
a whole flock of folks just leaving. What would Jesus be thinking and feeling right then? Rejection? Remember, he was a human, but he was fully God, fully human, fully God, fully human. So I think he could feel rejection. But he also was feeling the burden of these folks rejecting the message of truth that he has given them. Just as you, if you and I don't feed on him or with him, we walk away from him. And yes, we fail. Yes, we doubt. Yes, sometimes we wonder. But these people walked away, and he's now saying, you want to leave too? He turned to his disciples. He's got 12 of his closest brothers right there beside him. He's seeing hundreds, maybe thousands of people walking off that hillside or walking out of the, there in a synagogue now. But he's seeing him walk away. And he's feeling the agony of this. And so he turns to his disciples and he says, you do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Why did he ask that question? He knew. Remember, Jesus knows everything, but he asked a question. Do you want to leave also? To his twelve. You know why he asked the question? Because we're about to see one of the greatest moments in the Apostle Peter's life. That's why he asked the question. Now remember, this whole, this whole story, this whole beautiful scene is Jesus Christ wanting to convince all those people and wanting to convince you and me that he is the bread of life, that he is the truth, that he is the way, that he is the one that has all of the answers. That's what we need to know and live with. And he's saying, you do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. And what did Peter say? Now, Peter was a struggling soul sometimes. He was impulsive. He was up, he was down, he was back, he was forward, he was all sorts of things. But I'm telling you, in fact, I wrote under my statements here that this is Peter's highlight. If you want to see one of the pinnacles, the mountaintop experiences of the Apostle Peter. Because Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. I'm going to read it again. I want you to think about it. Out of all of this, Peter's been listening. Peter's believing. Peter's knowing. And that's a great word. Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? We can't, there's no turning back. To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Now, I want to point something out there. And I'm going to ask you to think deeply about this. Peter just said two very important words. We believe and we know. Now, folks, I believe that knowing is more deep, deeply rooted and more powerful than just believing. Now, do I believe? You bet. We're called to believe. We're given the opportunity to believe in Jesus Christ. 
But do you know that you can know? As some people say, well, I don't know. How can you know? Well, I don't know how to explain it, but I know that I know that I know. And I'm not any better than anybody else in this room. And Jesus and Peter, they're saying with the bread of life, you can believe and know. And other scriptures say if we seek the Lord, if we commit ourselves to Him, then we can know what His will is. We can know the truth of Jesus Christ. And so out of all of this, the lesson. Jesus is the bread of life and we have the privilege of eating this bread and then knowing that we have eternal life, we have forgiveness, we have freedom, we have all the peace that comes with knowing Jesus Christ. Now I want you to think about that for just a moment as we come to this table because this all is a part of this. We have the privilege right now of eating in symbolic nature, but in truthfulness, eating this bread of life that Jesus has been talking about. We have the spirit and the truth. We have the bread of life. We have the promise that Jesus has given us that he says, I am the bread of life. So I want you to just pray. I want you to look at yourself and look at the Lord and realize that you have been invited to eat the bread of life. Let's just be quiet and prayerful for just a moment.